What else do I need to report? Um, thank you for all of you who prayed for us. Thank you to those who uh, provided meals for us, and it was just wonderful to have the, the body of Christ care for our family. We've never experienced this where we were all so severely sick at the same time. That's very challenging when you have three young children, um, because when both parents are really sick, <laughs> I don't know, what are you going to do? So, uh, but thankfully we made it through, and Amy's with, home with the kids right now, and we all seem to be on the uh, upswing, so we're thankful for that. And let me see, anything else do I need to report? Any questions that you have about our, I mean, it was quite the ordeal. I mean, it was just quite the week. It started on Friday with Colton, and then Saturday I was out with evangelizing in the rain, which pro- I wasn't sick yet, but well, I probably was actually, because you, you're sick before, you're, before you know it. And me and uh, Janet and Abilash got drenched in... Uh, going door-to-door evangelization. I don't know if that, that probably wasn't good for my health, but, um, and then Sunday evening, Monday mornings when I got sick, Amy was sick on Sunday, and then our worst days were Tuesday and Wednesday, because that's when we were all the sickest, and like, uh, we spent a lot of time in bed and a lot of time on the couch, so, but we made it, so, thanks for praying for us, guys. Um, today we are going to talk about anger, and so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll talk as much as we can, go through as many of uh, the notes that I have uh, for anger, and uh, see if you have any questions at the end. So let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your kindness to us in all the various ways you provide for us. We do acknowledge that uh, we all have an anger problem. Whether we um, would call it that or not, uh, we are all sinful and therefore we respond to situations in ways that are not uh, fitting for uh, us as uh, believers. We are uh, sinful, so our, we get angry at the wrong things or we don't get angry at the right things or we get angry at things that, um, you know, for selfish reasons. So we just pray, God, that you'd help us unravel the intricacies of our, uh, this anger emotion that can become sinful. It is not inherently sinful because it is actually a God-given emotion. It actually reflects the character of God. And so we just ask for wisdom as we navigate all the various ways that the world thinks about and diagnoses this issue of anger. And I pray that we'd be able to glean wisdom from your word, and I'd also be able to answer any questions at the end. And we just ask for your blessing upon our study. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So last week we uh, went through principles for counseling others, and I talked to a number of you, and it sounded like that was helpful, and I'm glad to hear that. And again, this is, for me, this is just an ongoing process. This is an area where we are continuing to learn and grow, and hopefully over time becoming more and more competent, more and more able to counsel one another, to be able to effectively engage each other in fellowship and conversation, speaking the truth in love, so that we can help each other overcome problems like, as we saw the last couple of weeks, anxiety. And now we're going to be talking about anger, okay? And throughout this whole process, not just talking about specific issues, but helping us understand the history of the development of modern day psychology, the clashing of worldviews, the assumptions that are made when people are giving counsel, and how we can be on the same level in terms of observing behaviors, but once you cross the line into uh, interpretation, now you're using your worldview to make an assessment of, of people and their problems. And so I, I hope that that's been helpful for you. I hope you're I know for me, even though I've studied these things in the past, I've even taken master's level classes at, uh, on these topics. Nevertheless, this last several months of me studying this has been almost, almost kind of eye-opening again to see how Scripture is sufficient, but not only how Scripture is sufficient, but how the modern-day thinking and modern-day psychology has developed and how it has self-consciously moved away from a Judeo-Christian worldview and how we need to be aware of that and not be taken in and not be naive. So, okay, so we're talking about anger. That's our topic for today. And uh, I just wanted to start off with a uh, Webster Dictionary definition of the, of the English word. How do we think of anger if you just define the word? 
Uh, and I think this is helpful. Uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defined it as, quote, a strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. I actually think that's a legitimate um, definition that when we start to talk about it, defining it from a Christian worldview, I think we're going to see that there's a lot of overlap there. I, that is, that's a fine definition. A strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. David Pallison, I'll read a big long quote from him a little bit later. <clears throat> he defines it as basically saying, I'm against that. There it is. That's, I'm against that. And so I think we are are, we are uh, helpfully, I think we're helped by this definition, a strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. When you're angry, you are against something. And you're antagonistic against it. You feel great displeasure toward it, and that's why you're angry. It, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's an injustice that you saw or something that happened to you or just the fact that you're frustrated because you um, just spilled the milk everywhere, right? It's a, it's, an, it's a feeling of displeasure, and you're against what just happened, okay? You're not pleased by it, okay? However, uh, as I read some of these definitions from the popular level, so from a lot of them from Psychology Today, and uh, where else did I get some of these? And then we'll, we'll, then we'll go into the DSM a little bit. I want you to listen carefully to see how they define it and, and kind of run it through a, your own biblical grid to see if you notice any kind of problems with the way it's defined. Okay, Psychology Today in one article that defines anger. And the, again, it's, it's hard to, it's like defining and diagnosing are so intertwined that you might be wondering, is this a definition? And so I, I did my, my best to try to find definitions of, of anger, but we'll see what you think here. So, Psychology Today, quote, anger is a powerful emotion that can lead to serious problems in your relationships and career if left unbridled. Um, and another article, a, a separate one, distinct from that one, uh, from Psychology uh, Today again, quote, anger is a negative experience so closely bound to pain and depression that it can sometimes be hard to know where one of these experiences ends and another begins. Okay? And then just this short phrase from a, another, yet another um, article at Psychology Today, quote, people have trouble managing anger, anger and other negative emotions. I just want to stop right there. I'm just going to want you to meditate on that phrase for a moment and tell me what you think of it. Quote, people have trouble managing anger and other negative emotions. Any thoughts about that phrase? Pardon? People have trouble managing anger and other negative emotions. Okay, there it is. I, that's what I was getting after. Uh, what I was finding is that within a modern day, and this is not always the case, okay, so you have to be discerning, but at least here in some other articles, anger was viewed as a negative emotion, just as, it, as such. As if, it, if you're angry, it's negative. It's a negative emotion. And if something is negative, then what should you do? Yeah, remove it. Get rid of it. Through whatever, whatever means possible, right? And this is, goes back to what we were talking about even with anxiety. Is anxiety always wrong? No, right? Sometimes it's a godly thing to be anxious. <laughs> believe it or not, right? I know it's hard for some of us to believe that. Uh, but sometimes a lack of anxiety is ungodly. And in the same way, a lack of anger can be ungodly. Is that wild or what? It should be. So... The, to characterize anger as only negative or as negative, like as if you experience anger, it's negative, then you are undercutting uh, something very important about who we are as moral beings. And not only that, but we are uh, undercutting God's very character too, aren't we? Because God is angry every day and He's never unrighteously angry. He's never sinfully angry. It's never negative with God right? 
And in Scripture, as we'll see, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but as in Scripture we'll see, there is a place for righteous anger. And in fact, God expects His people to be righteously angry. In fact, we're actually commanded to be righteously angry um, because there are certain things in our experience that call for such a response. So that if you are not angry at the right things, it doesn't mean that you're mature. It actually means that you're immature. If you're someone who's just so straight, even-keeled, that you never get your feathers ruffled about anything, even things that are important, it doesn't mean you're growing in maturity. It means that you're lacking maturity because you're not being upset by the things that really matter. Uh, Anger actually is a um, God-given emotion that reflects God's own character. And in the right places, in the right proportion, in the right times, anger is called for from a godly, mature Christian. But if you just cover anger, um, the emotion of anger, with a broad brush stroke and say it's negative, then you're going to have a hard time within that kind of framework truly dealing with that emotion. You're not going to be creating mature, godly, morally sharp kinds of people who can control their anger, but get angry at the right things, and then know how to use that for productive ends. And that's an important piece that we'll get to in a little bit. Okay, another article says, quote, everyone experiences anger at some point. It becomes problematic, however, when the frequency or severity of anger interferes with relationships, work performance, legal standing, or mental health. Of course, we wouldn't uh, really argue with that. Of course, anger can, can get out of control, and when it does get out of control, it can really harm people's lives. Now, saying, now let me just back up here real quick. Uh, <clears throat> saying that anger is a God-given motion doesn't mean that it doesn't run amok most of the time. <laughs> it does, right? And we all know that. We all know how bitterness erodes our souls. We, also, we know how bitterness destroys our relationships. We know how anger can ruin our employment and ruin uh, good situations because we've let anger get out of control. I don't know if you remember uh, several months ago, kind of early in the COVID, I guess several years now? Wow, it's just painful to even speak that way. Uh, Early in the COVID situation, I preached a a message on anger because uh, I was noticing, and I just, at the beginning of that sermon, I just quoted from like major news outlets and minor news outlets, like local news outlets, just quoting these articles about how everybody is so angry right now. Like there's just anger is what characterized America, was characterizing America from the early COVID days. And, um, and, and people were, were, were lashing out at each other and just is kind of, one, one article characterizes a cauldron of anger. And so my point in saying that anger is a God-given motion doesn't mean that it doesn't uh, run amok. Most of the time it does because we're sinful. Right? So people are becoming sinfully angry and acting in sinful anger, and anger is overtaking people's lives, there's no doubt. But you don't treat anger by saying anger is negative. That's not nuanced enough. That's not biblically nuanced enough. That's not going to help anybody. Okay. Okay. Continuing to quote that last one, while there's no official anger disorder, dysfunctional anger and aggression can be a symptom of intermittent explosive disorder. Now now naming um, disorders in the DSM. Intermittent, intermittent explosive disorder. Anybody have that in here? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, or borderline personality disorder. And so um, what they're saying is there's no official anger disorder, right? But there you have these certain disorders where anger plays a big role. And there are these, and they, they've, they've named them this way, intermittent explosive disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, and borderline personality disorder. So um, what I wanted to do is just briefly talk about each of those quote-unquote disorders. And so you can hear how anger is being understood within a modern psychological framework, okay? So, this is a, this is intermittent explosive disorder. Someone who has intermittent explosive disorder 
is someone who, quote, has recurrent behavioral outbursts representing a failure to control aggressive impulses as manifested by either of the following, verbal aggression, physical aggression toward property, animals, or other individuals, occurring twice weekly on average for a period of three months. <clears throat> the physical aggression does not result in damage or destruction of property and does not result in physical injury to animals or under other individuals. Three behavioral outbursts involving damage or destruction of property and or physical assault involving physical injury against animals or other individuals occurring within a 12-month period. Continuing, the magnitude of the aggressiveness expressed during the recurrent outburst is grossly out of proportion to the provocation or to any preci precipitating psycho psychosocial stressors. The recurrent aggressive outbursts caused either, marked dis, uh, caused either marked distress in the individual or impairment in occupational or interpersonal functioning or are associated with financial or legal consequences. That I'm just quoting the DSM. That's intermittent ex explosive disorder. Um, the time periods seem arbitrary to me. I don't know why occurring twice daily on average for the period of three months. I don't know where you get that or why that's the, why is that the standard? I don't know, but... Pardon? Well, it's, it's just giving you a number. It's just saying, it's saying this is how you define intermittent explosive disorder. Um, uh, these recurrent behavioral outbursts are happening on, uh, occurring twice weekly on average for a period of three months. Why twice weekly? Why not once weekly? Why not three times? Why not five times? Why not six months? Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. You would only be diagnosed with if you meet those criteria, exactly, okay. Um, it is an impulse control disorder characterized by repeated angry outbursts representing a failure to control aggressive impulses. I already read that, okay. Uh, oppositional defiant disorder, typically uh, this is something that is diagnosed in children. This is quote, a quote, this is uh, quoting the DSM again, quote, a pattern of angry, irritable mood, argumentative, defiant behavior, or vindictiveness lasting at least six months, as evidenced by at least four symptoms from any of the following categories and exhibited during interaction with at least one individual who is not a sibling. Often loses temper, is often touchy or easily annoyed, is often angry or resentful, often argues with authority figures and or children or adolescents with adults, children or adolescents arguing with authority figures like adults, uh, often actively defies or refuses to comply with requests from authority figures or with rules, often deliberately annoys others, often blames others for his or her mistakes or be misbehavior, has been spiteful or vindictive at least twice within the last six months. That is called oppositional defiant disorder. And I'm just being, I'm trying not to say anything. Um, <laughs> just uh, one, now, this is where it begins to sound scientific, okay? Quote, two parts of the brain are implicated in the reactive aggression include uh, an overactive, I don't even know the names of these, these parts of the brain. Maybe you do, Kai. Maybe you, you doctors and dentists in here would know these things. Maybe some of you, um, a, what is this word? A-M-Y-G-D, thank you, thank you, that one. Uh, in an under, underactive prefrontal cortex, the region that helps regulate impulses and inhibit aggression. Okay. And this is where then medication would come into play because, these, because how they're viewing it is that that is the cause of the angry outbursts. Um, the problem with that is there is no consensus, remember, on what? Cause and effect, right? Of course, uh, we... Our, our brains do play a part in, in how uh, we speak and act and, and live, and so there's, there's no doubt. But the interplay between mind and brain and soul and body is, is highly complex, and it is simplistic, in my judgment, to narrow things down to merely the uh, brain activity, right? That would actually be then to remove the moral component of the person. I don't believe that these, the, the, um, perhaps you could, perhaps, I mean, I just read an article in the Harvard Review of Psychiatry that makes me question just about everything that, um, uh, modern day psychiatry has been, um, uh, arguing for. But you, you, let's say you could say that, okay, maybe there is, there is some things going on here that could, that could increase one's propensity to be angry. I don't, 
I wouldn't argue with that, okay? Maybe there's something physical that would increase a person's propensity to become angry. That is not the ultimate cause of their anger, okay? Nor can it be what you attribute finally to be the, the source of, uh, or in the final reason of why they are getting angry. And so, <clears throat> um, but this is, this is where then you make a statement like that and you're like, well then game over, right? I don't know what else I can say. If it's an issue of the, if the brain, then we need to treat it medically and it's, it's, it's just, we're, that's it. Uh, but as we've, as we've noted, this kind of way of viewing the human person is within a naturalistic framework. This is not within a framework that sees the human person as body and soul, that sees, something, that sees the mind as something that is, transcends the brain, that sees this as more than just our biology. This is coming from a worldview that sees this primarily in terms of our biology. Um, then it talks about tra- treatment, parent training, um, parent-child interaction therapy, um, uh, a number of things that are just kind of common sense in terms of parenting, um, training, uh, discipline, con- appropriate consequences, um, uh, modeling appropriate behavior and things like this. Uh, so a number of these things, you know, recognize and praise your child's positive behaviors, model behavior, um, set limits, have consequences, build in time together. It's just like, yeah, that's, that's parenting. Um, okay, another, another disorder, conduct disorder, very similar to the one I just mentioned. Quote, conduct disorder and oppositional defiant disorder are both related to conduct that bring the individual in conflict with adults and other authority figures. Quote, a repetitive and persistent pattern of behavior in which regular, the basic rights of others or major age-appropriate societal norms or rules are violated as manifested by the presence of at least three of the following 15 criteria in the last 12 months from any of the categories below. Often bullies, threatens or intimidates others, often initiates physical fights, has used a weapon that can cause physical harm to others, has been physically cruel to people, has been physically cruel to animals, has stolen while confronting a victim, has forced someone into sexual activity, has deliberately engaged in fire setting, has deliberately destroyed others' property, has broken into someone else's home building or car, often lies to obtain goods or favors and to avoid obligations, has stolen non-trivial value, items of non-trivial value without confronting a victim, often stays out at night despite parental prohibitions beginning before age 13 years. That is conduct disorder. Uh, and there are multiple causes that um, psychiatrists and psychologists, scientists argue for. Uh, brain damage, traumatic event, genes, child abuse, past school failures, social problems. And of course, I wouldn't have a problem with saying that all those things can be a factor uh, in, a, uh, in, in exasperating a person or making them more inclined to this kind of uh, behavior. And then it talks about similar kind of, of therapy, um, family therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy as, in, as treatment. Uh, finally, borderline personality disorder is, quote, a pervasive pattern of instability in interpersonal relationships, self, self-image that affects and uh, and affects and is marked impul- by marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. Frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment, a pattern of unstable or intense in personal relationships, identity disturbance, um, unstable self-image and sense of self, impulsivity in, less, in at least two areas of potentially self-damaging uh, activities, substance abuse, reckless driving, uh, and so on. Recurrent suicide, reoccurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, threats, or self-mutilating behavior, uh, chronic feelings of emptiness. Okay. Um, and so, uh, oh, uh, oh yes. Uh, inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger, frequent displays of temper, constant temper, recurrent physical fights. And again, what's the treatment for that? Psychotherapy, which is called uh, otherwise called talk therapy. Sometimes medication will be uh, involved. There's a whole list of different kinds of therapies, dialectical, schema-based, uh, mentalization, um, transference-focused psychotherapy. I mean, just a, just this whole gamut of different kinds of therapies 
which <clears throat> I think is an indication that to not to be crass, but we just really don't know what we're doing. Um, and so we, we try a lot of different approaches. Um, uh, medications, as I mentioned, hospitalization, <clears throat> and so on. And then um, I just pulled out a few. So that's all the DSM. Okay, so the DSM is what, what psychiatrists and psychologists are using to then diagnose these disorders among people. Um, when I read those behaviors, um, was there anything that we would disagree with? I don't think so. When you're just observing the behaviors, I would be like, yes, this person um, has uh, engaged in violence. They have stolen. They, have, they are disobedient to parents. They resist parental authority. They resist uh, adult authority in the classroom. You know, I, we could agree with all those observations, right? Why is that? Well, we, I believe because of, of common grace. Remember that chart I drew? Or you guys had on your papers? You probably don't remember my, my excellent artwork. I know it's, it's, it's hard to remember. But, um, but when it comes to observation or just observing human behavior, due to God's common grace, we, we are Christian and non-Christian alike, we can observe the same kind of behavior and say like, yeah, he's defiant against his parents and angry all the time and he's um, threatening and he's gotten in fights and he's hurting little animals. And yeah, I, I, I observe the same thing that you are, okay? What is it when they go and then they say that is, what is it called? I can never remember the... Oppositional Defiant Disorder. What is that now? It's, pardon? A label? But what are they doing? Interpreting. That's, that's exactly what it is. That's all it is. Here, we're standing there. These are the, the, this is the behavior. We agree. Interpret that. And they would interpret it. That is a disorder. Oppositional Defiant Disorder. It, of course, it's how you would interpret it within a naturalistic, modern-day psychology framework, right? But it's an interpretation. It's not some sort of objective, unbiased, worldview-neutral assessment that now uh, everybody should be into, uh, able to embrace as objective truth. That's not at all what's happening. It is an interpretation of the data within a particular framework, okay? And I just want us to keep that in mind because we're going to make an interpretation too, and we have every right to do so within, our, within a Christian worldview. So, let's talk about uh, how should we assess anger from a Christian worldview, Uh, Merriam-Webster defines it as a strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. Again, I don't have a problem. <laughs> that's why I start with that one. <clears throat> uh, that's what it is. It's just, that's, just, that's what we're experiencing, <clears throat> isn't it? You just think the last time you were angry, whether it was small or a large-scale issue, whether it was superficial or really serious, whether it was an issue that doesn't really matter or really matters. Think about you just being angry. What was that feeling? It was a strong feeling of displeasure usually antagonism. And antagonism doesn't mean you got in a fight with someone. It means just, you, I don't like that. I'm against that. Okay? <clears throat> so I'm gonna, I want to quote this, this. I just want you to listen to this. I, I've been reading a book called Good and Angry by David Pallison. He's a biblical counselor. He recently passed away. Uh, wonderful man. Uh, I love his writing. He's always been very helpful anytime I've... He's hard to listen to. So if you listen to him teach... He's got an interesting style of teaching and preaching. Some people, it, might, it just might click with you right away. It doesn't work for me. But I re when I read him, I really, really am blessed. So I, I like reading him better than <laughs> the listening. Doesn't go, doesn't work for me. But <clears throat> this book is great. And I found this quote in here. It's, it's lengthy. I want you to listen to it because he's defining anger from a Christian worldview. And I want to see if it, if it lands with you. Okay. He says this, <clears throat> quote, So what is anger? What common thread runs through every form of anger, whether good or bad? At its core, angry is very simple. It expresses, I'm against that. 
It is an active stance you take to oppose something that you assess as both important and wrong. You notice something, size it up, and say, that matters, and it's not right. You encounter something in your world that crosses the line. Anger expresses the energy of your reaction to something you find offensive and wish to eliminate. The DNA, or the essence of it, is not a heightened pitch of emotion. It's not the surge of adrenaline. It's not any particular way of expressing anger. It's not which events or people happen to tick you off. It's not whether you get into arguments. The underlying essence is the negative evaluation, active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about to you. Human beings come wired with the capacity to react with displeasure toward real wrongs and to act forcibly to make wrongs right. In other words, we are moral beings. Right? That, that was my point earlier. God has made us moral beings, therefore we are given the capacity to judge right and wrong. And when we judge something to be wrong, we get angry because we are moral beings. We are made in the image of God, so we are wired to operate in anger's logic. That matters, and it's wrong. It displeases me, and I'm against it. I should change it, remove it, destroy it. The core is that something important is not the way it's meant to be, and we are moved to take action. Anger is about displeasure. When you are pleased about something, it's impossible to feel angry. You approve, so no offense is taken. Or if something doesn't matter much to you, or you don't even notice it, again, no no anger, no offense taken. But in each variant of anger, we assess something that happens. We care and we take the stance of critic, judge, activist, enemy, and plaintiff. I disapprove. That's wrong. I feel offended. I want either to make it right or get rid of it. This evaluative core underlies our more narrow associations to anger. Every incident has, has at least three things in common. One, I identify some perceived wrong. Two, I take a stance of disapproval and feel displeasure. Three, in some way I move to action to say something or do something about it. At minimum, there's an implication of potential action. <clears throat> if this is the DNA, then anger is judgmental by nature. Everything else is variable. Getting the common denominator straight lets you flex on all the variables. It helps you cut to the core for proposing solutions. What is the core? I see a perceived wrong, I take a stance of disapproval, I am moved to action or potential action. Okay? This is undergirded by the truth, the biblical truth, now uh, turning to um, Psalm 4.4. Well, you can put your finger in Psalm 4.4 and then turn over to uh, Ephesians 4.26, which is what Paul's quoting. He's quoting Psalm 4.4. So David says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This is Psalm 4.1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself uh, set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And then Paul uh, quotes that in his instructions to the Ephesians, verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is, this is, this is so crucial because I think some, at least some of us tend to think of the suppression of anger as sanctification the pushing down of anger, the not getting angry, that sanctification. Actually, to be angry, that's a command. Be angry. Be angry. But do not sin. 
So, uh, anger is not necessarily sinful. Now, most of the time it is. Let's just be honest, okay? Most of the time it swerves into unrighteous anger, but anger is not necessarily sinful. And not only that, there are times when we must be angry, and if we're not angry, then we're actually not growing in holiness. Let's look at um, Jesus just for a, a moment here. Mark chapter 3, verse 5. says, uh, again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus, the religious leaders, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here, and he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? And it should be obvious. If you are someone who has a, who has a, whose moral compass, so to speak, is working, whose heart is right, who is feeling the things they should be feeling, rejoicing over the things they should be rejoicing in, angry over the things they should be angry about, happy, feeling compassion towards a, a fellow, their fellow people. If you are living and feeling the right way, it should be obvious, the obvious answer to the question, um, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? It, you sh you, there should be no hesitation. To give the answer. Well, of course, it's always lawful to do good. It's always lawful to save a life. Okay. But they were silent. And Jesus is like, oh, these poor guys. Well, guess I'll just be on my way. And he looked around, around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus was righteously angry because these men were so morally corrupt they could not even answer to say, of course, it's always right to do good to people. So Their hearts are so hardened to God and to people and so consumed with their self-righteousness and the way they wanted to handle the Sabbath that they couldn't answer that simple question. And Jesus was angry. Did Jesus sin in his anger? No. Would it have been more morally upright for Jesus not to be angry? I don't think so. I think this is the picture of righteousness in the face of hard-heartedness, in the face of a lack of compassion. And Jesus said, uh, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Um, I could, <clears throat> we could go through several more texts. I mean, it's surprising to see when you really start studying it how much God's anger is actually a centerpiece of the Bible. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. And in the Old Testament especially, God is... God's anger against sin and against rebellion is, is kind of front and center throughout the Old Testament. And it's front and center at the cross as well. Not only do you see the lavish grace and love of God uh, at, at, at the cross, we don't, let's keep it balanced here, it's love and grace and mercy poured out lavishly upon His people. Right? But what else was it? Infinite, holy wrath against His people poured on His Son. But God has never sinned in His anger. It has always been righteous. And you see it here in Christ. And you see it in, and the reason I say that is because when Paul says, be angry and do not sin, he's saying it against the backdrop of God's character, of Christ's character, knowing that it is not necessarily sinful to be angry. In fact, there are times when it is right to be angry and it would actually be sinful to not be angry, to just laugh off some sort of injustice. Anger is a God-given emotion and is, and is the appropriate response of holiness in the, in the presence of sin. Okay, so in light of that, here's, here's my... Well, you, you know it's coming, but... This won't surprise you, but I, I want to say it again. 
The DSM diagnoses for intermittent explosive disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, and conduct disorder are just naturalistic labels given to classify a person when they exhibit strong expressions of uncontrolled, unrighteous anger. That's all it is. My interpretation of all of those behavior characteristics in that particular person in light of a Christian worldview is that that is the work of the flesh. Uncontrolled, unrighteous, selfish, self-centered anger. Or maybe uh, anger that started with a good reason but was not handled the right way for whatever reason. Uh, scripture speaks a lot about anger. Uh, Proverbs. Oh, I'm actually to to kind of point that out. Actually, the point out my point that I just said that this the um, the DSM labels are just naturalistic labels given to classify a person when they exhibit strong expressions of uncontrolled, unrighteous anger. Listen to how the Proverbs talks about. Uh, anger. <clears throat> whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So we just read in those DSM diagnoses talking about hasty tempers. And the Proverbs characterize that as that's, that's just folly. That's, that's someone who's exalting folly. That's, that's a work of the flesh. That's, that's sin. Hasty temper, it's foolishness. But someone who is slow, it's possible to be slow to anger. Not When you are slow to anger, it actually exemplifies that you have great understanding. You're a wise person. It's an issue of wisdom and folly, not of so-called disorders. Um, that was, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14.29. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The Scripture is not categorizing uh, people into various disorders. It's saying there are two categories. You are either wise or you're foolish. And foolishness is characterized by hasty tempers, outbursts of anger, unrighteous anger, stirring up strife. Proverbs 29.9, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, he, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. Proverbs 29.11, the fool or a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 29.22, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Those are the categories biblically. Given to anger, man of wrath, full vent of the spirit, a fool, someone who rages, stirs up anger, and exalts folly through their hasty temper. These are the categories. We, you, you didn't, we don't need modern day neurology uh, to, um, to suggest that there are some sort of deeper reasons for why people are having, uh, having these explosive episodes of anger. Scripture was, was categorizing these things as wise and foolish centuries ago. And then Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. How do you think Paul would assess the DSM? He'd be like, dude, these are works of the flesh. I, I, I'm not trying to be funny. I, just, I think that's what, based on what he's written, Paul, Paul, this is how people are assessing anger these days. They're like, whoa, that's just, you know, haven't you read Galatians? Uh, the works of the flesh are evident. Um, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. This is flowing from the heart. This is... Sure, there may be other factors that, that make it more or less difficult for people to control their anger in certain situations, but that's what this is. It's just flowing from the sin. These are just works of the flesh. Uh, scripture often exhorts believers to be slow to anger, as we've seen. 
Um, good, we've already read a number of these, uh, Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Ecclesiastes 7.9, be not quick in your heart to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And James 1.19, of course, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, scripture often, often instructs us to put away anger. This is in Colossians uh, 3, Ephesians 4. But this does not mean to never be angry. Okay? I hope that's made, become clear. Um, it's not instructing us to never be angry, but to put away unrighteousness. Or I'm sorry, to put away unrighteous, explosive, un, uh, unrighteous, explosive, selfish, self-centered, self-protective anger. I think that's the kind of anger that we are being told in the Scripture to put off. Unrighteous, explosive, selfish, self-centered, self-protective anger. Scripture even uh, instructs us to avoid people who are given to sinful anger. Do you have people like that in your life? I know some of you guys struggle with, now that you're believers and you have unbelieving relatives, you really wrestle, like, how do I show them love and care and yet be in, uh, um, and be in their life and yet obey some of these commandments that, like for example here, to avoid people who are, who are given to sinful anger. Um, Proverbs 22.24, I believe that one says, I don't have it here, Proverbs 22.24, don't go with a man given to anger lest you learn his ways. Um, and so it becomes very challenging in your relationships yeah, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. There's a kind of, to use a New Testament imagery, anger can, an angry person, their anger can, can, can kind of be like a leaven, and you, you're around them enough, and you start to become an angry person. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Well, it's because it, we're not abiding by the Proverbs. It says, don't make no friendship with a man given to anger. And so this becomes challenging in our uh, relationships with our relatives, I think, sometimes, because sometimes we have to be with our relatives, and yet um, some of them might be given to anger. But to just recognize <clears throat> that Scripture un- sees anger as something that can, can pass to us almost like leaven in that way, so that we, we learn an angry person's ways and we begin to take on their ways, it's not wise. It's, we can't be, uh, make intimate friendships with those given to anger. Proverbs twenty two twenty four, yeah that that last one that I read about don't make no friendship with a man given anger that was Proverbs twenty two twenty four and following. Um, what does Scripture mean when it tells us to be slow to anger though? This is something I wrestled with this this week. What does it what does it mean to be slow to anger? Does it mean to be slow to unrighteous anger? Well, I would say no, because you're never, you're never to be moving in the direction of sin, whether slow or fast. So be slow to unrighteous anger. If you're going to be unrighteously angry, just take a while to get there, right? I don't think that's what Scripture is teaching. Um, does it mean slow in our expressions of anger? Well, can you, can you think of times when you should be quick in your expressions of anger? I can. If anybody lays a hand on my wife, oh boy, like it's going down right now, okay? Right? And, and you, all, you all know what that's like. Someone lays a hand on a family, mem- family member, um, like th- you see someone, you see a young child being assaulted or something like that, like you're not like, oh, I'm just going to be, sl- I got to be slow to anger. That child is being assaulted, but scripture says be slow to anger. No, like there are times when the expression of anger needs to, be kindled quickly and so that you can take action. So I don't think it means slow in your expressions of anger either. Um, rather, this is what I, I, rather, it seems that the anger that we are to, supposed to be slow in is anger over personal offenses. Eventually our anger over personal offenses may re- require action, but it is not the form, in the form of a quick outburst. So I think scripture is, is, we are, we are not someone, we are not people who are just constantly angry over 
the, the, the hard things that have been, are happening to us, okay? There are times when personal offenses should be met with, with anger, okay? Uh, and met with expressions of anger, and maybe even sometimes uh, swiftly. But I think what Scripture is calling us to is to, to be the kinds of people where we are not easily provoked when we are um, sinned against, and the reason why I say that is because that seems to be what God is, is like when it's saying that God is slow to anger in, in, in throughout Scripture. God is slow to anger. What is God slow to anger? Well, He is personally offended like every moment and doesn't destroy us, didn't destroy Israel, right? I mean, it's just every... You just look at the, the history of Israel um, in which these Psalms are being written about God being slow to anger. They were stiff-necked from the beginning, and yet God continued to work with him and work with him. And it, was, it took him a while to finally say, oh, enough is enough. Whoosh, right? He was slow to anger over those, what you would say, personal offenses. Okay? Not always. Not always. He was sometimes swift depending on the situation. But <clears throat> that's, how I, that's how I understand it. Um, if you want to add to that, we kill my, I'm sorry. Um, would you guys like to do questions now and wrap up? anger next week and flow into ADHD next week? What would you like to do? you like Q&A now? All right. We will do Q&A. I said we would. Let's, um, a few minutes for questions, and then I don't have much left. Uh, we'll talk about unrighteous anger, the marks of righteous anger, treatment, and then flow into our next topic. Okay? Uh, questions about what we talked about this morning? Yes. How do you Thomas. assess when your anger is starting to flow from righteousness? Mm. That's the next part. <laughs> um, unrighteous anger comes from, I would say, self-love, unholy self-love. We want what we want, and we get angry, and we can't have it. We're seeking only our benefit. Uh, Unrighteous anger comes from jealousy over what others have or who they are. This was the case with Cain. Um, this is the case with the Pharisees and Jesus. Or Proverbs 19.3, we bear the consequences of our own foolishness. We get angry at God. Okay? Not because God did anything, but because we didn't obey Him, and now we're paying, paying with it uh, through some consequences. Um, here are the marks of righteous anger to see if we can kind of answer it from that angle. We are angry over God's dishonor. This is the marks of righteous anger now. We're angry, angry over God's dishonor. We are angry over injustice done to another image bearer. Our anger is roused by real issues, not superficial ones. Uh, we are self-controlled in our anger. Our anger is aimed at the problem, not the person, so it's solution-based and not uh, attacking the person. Uh, our anger is not vented, and our anger is not suppressed. Okay? I would say those are the marks of righteous anger. Your question was, is how do you know when it's starting to go from righteous to unrighteous? I think whenever you, you're no longer operating within that, that sphere. So now you're venting your anger, or now you're not self-controlled in your anger, or now your no, anger is no longer aimed at the problem, it's aimed at the person. Um, you are angry now mainly over things pertaining to you and your desires and what you want and so on. So I think that's probably how I would say is you're, 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 once you're operating outside this sphere of the marks of a righteous anger, that's when you can, we need to start assessing or questioning, okay, am I, am I starting now to drift over into an unrighteous form of anger? Um, just, and this is important too, just because you don't explode, you're like, I'm not, I don't explode in anger, Derek. I'm not, I don't have an anger problem. But do you smolder? Do you, does the, the bitterness build up? Do you, do you refuse to deal with your anger in the right, forthright, face-to-face -face way, and you're just going to just all let it just smolder all in here? That's not godly either. That's not a mark of righteous anger. And what we'll talk about next week is um, dealing with anger means dealing, it, dealing with it in a straightforward, forthright manner, focused on the problem, not the person. Um, 
And so, yeah, anyway, so I, I th that would be my quick answer to your question, Thomas. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, uh, I think the, the balanced Christian life is the life that is balanced across the whole spectrum of biblical emotions that we are supposed to feel. And one of those is to be so enthralled over our forgiveness and so enthralled over our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins that we have experienced and the goodness of God in our lives and these kinds of things that it's impossible to remain constantly angry when you are, um, uh, those things are on the forefront of your mind. Uh, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. God and Christ forgiving us is the basis, is the root, it's the foundation for tenderheartedness towards others. And so I, I think that as growing in maturity, and Edward said this in his religious affection centuries ago, and I, I, I think he's right, he sees a, a, a biblical maturity should be, should be characterized by a, a, a kind of symmetry in our character development so that you're not just always an angry person, but you're not never an angry person. You are someone who is just enthralled with your salvation, tenderhearted, gentle, but also someone at the same time who's, who's able to be angry at the, at the right things and at the right times in the right proportion. So... <clears throat> I, I, yeah, I just, I just think that it's a matter of, of enjoying and embracing the whole truth of Scripture and, and rooting ourselves in our salvation. I mean, that's where everything starts. It's in, it starts in the gospel. Um, God's wrath and anger towards us has been um, totally extinguished in the cross. It's no longer over us. Um, there should be a tinge of compassion even in our anger towards uh, the world. When I see just the grossest blasphemies, um, it just it does anger me. But at the same time, if I ponder just for a moment that per person's future without Christ, I can't help but feel compassion because they're going to end up e experiencing God's anger for the rest of eternity. So um, I think that's an important piece too. I think if we really root ourselves in the gospel and the cross, then you're going to have those balanced emotions you're going to be angry sometimes, but you're also going to have compassion. You're also going to be rejoicing over your, the wonder of your salvation. So, um, yeah, good question. Yeah, Addison? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, I think Addison's exactly right. Um, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's why we bless and do not curse. Uh, we don't uh, take our own vengeance and so on. That doesn't mean we don't act for justice here on earth institutionally. I think that's important. But our own personal vengeance. And you're right. I mean, Addison's exactly right. There's coming a day when God will, abs with absolute precision and perfection, do justice and, um, and right every injustice. So we don't need to be consumed with it in the sense that we think that we must um, accomplish that. We can't, and we're, we're, that's not what our assignment is. So I think that's a really good point, Addison. Yeah, Dana. Is there a difference between righteous anger and righteous indignation? Um, I think, I, I don't think so. I think indignation is just a, another word for anger, unless you've got something else in mind. Are you thinking indignation means like, more, I don't know, I would just say it seems to be this, another word for anger, indignation, yeah. Not to my knowledge, unless I'm totally missing something, yeah. I would just say it's the same thing, righteous anger, righteous indignation, same thing. Indignation just sounds cooler, I guess, maybe. Maybe that's part of it, it the, coo the coolness fast, what? It sounds a little bit more personal than a lot. Mm. Indignation. One more question, then we'll go. 
Okay, so the plan is next week to wrap this up and then just kind of bleed into our next topic, okay, which is going to be ADHD, which is quite the topic, as I've come to find out. Um, so we will talk about that um, as best we can. Again, if you have any questions, if, you, if I've said anything that's unclear, or even things that you don't necessarily agree with, or you thought that I was um, uh, didn't articulate in a way that's accurate, please come to me, talk to me. Uh, I want to make this as, as clear and as accurate as possible, and, and we want everything to be done truthfully. So uh, I'm open to you guys coming and talking to me anytime. So uh, let me pray, and then we will go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful time in your word. I pray that you'd help us uh, just apply it to our lives, help us to deal with our anger um, in a way that is righteous, that in a way that pleases you, continue to grow us in our character, in Christ-like character. In Jesus' name, amen.